Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Zoom version of In Conversation with Lisa Burke. I am so delighted to welcome you all. Shirley from Luxembourg, Crystal and Alison. I can't believe that you're up at a crazy hour of the morning and joining us uh, from California. So thank you so much for being up, looking ultra glamorous, Californian glamour. And welcome to our podcast here in Luxembourg. Now, between us all, we're going to really dig into the spotlight, which has been across this month, particularly this week, and especially on the 28th of February, which is Rare Disease Day. Now, you're all associated with this in different ways, and I want to welcome you all individually. So, Crystal O'Loughlin, founder and CEO of Angel Aid Cares. You're a former IBM executive and UCLA instructor. Crystal co-founded the advertising firm, The Craftsman Agency, which advises global brands such as NBA, Disney, Fox, Cisco Systems, and Google. And prior to that, during her tenure at IBM Life Sciences, she helped accelerate advancements in cheminformatics and biotechnology. Now, as the founder and CEO of Angel Aid Cares, Crystal is fiercely passionate about providing social, emotional, physical and financial relief to mothers and families of children with rare diseases. She was in Luxembourg not so long ago, telling us all about this at a recent TEDx event. Dr. Alison Sgrinner, I hope I pronounced your name correctly, Vice President of Clinical Outcomes Research and Evaluation at Ultragenics Pharmaceutical Incorporated, a developmental neuropsychologist by training. Alison has 20 years experience in rare disease drug development and leads a group that specializes in clinical trial design and endpoint development. They rely on rare disease patients and families to help them, their partners in drug development. And Shirley Feiderone, the president of Valin.lu, Maldirard, Luxembourg. Shirley, you're joining me here in Luxembourg. You've been the president of Valin since 2013, a member of the National Rare Disease Committee and the panel of experts Rare 2030. Shirley is also affected by a rare disease herself and has experienced multiple challenges in everyday life, but is convinced that the situation for people living with a rare disease can be improved. She works to intensify the networks between professionals and patients, her motto being, together we are stronger. And apart from being president of Alain since 2013, she works part-time as a special education professional for adults. So welcome to you all. Thank you. It's Hello. so wonderful to be here. It's just wonderful to have you all here. And I'm going to start with you, Crystal. I would like you to all tell us and our audience a little bit more about yourselves and why you are so passionate about the work you do with rare diseases. So, Crystal, over to you from California. Sure, absolutely. So, I, listen, this is a, a global um a global crisis, a global organization, a global community of rare disease families. These are 300 million families worldwide with rare disease. That's more than AIDS and cancer combined. And it's shocking that we don't hear as much about rare disease as we would think. Um, the reason is there's seven to 8,000 rare diseases on the planet. And 
the definition of a rare disease is less than 50,000 patients, right? So when you look at these in aggregate, this is um, a very large community, but very isolated. Uh, rare families tend to go insular. Um, I know this because I come from a rare family. Three of my four older brothers had a rare genetic disease called mucopolysaccharidosis, very um, long clinical name. Uh, and there is no cure for any rare disease, including MPS disease. So my brothers passed away at 12, 18, and 19 years old. And you can just imagine um, the incredible challenges in our family of caring for five children, three very, very sick children. So, um, so that is what Angel Aid is founded upon, is this sensitivity to the plight of the caregiver and in particular rare mothers. And um, we're just so delighted to be able to you know, share our story and share this awareness um, with the RTL community. It's 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 so very poignant, and uh, you know, for us listening to your story and your TED talk to hear about your family's experience, it, it just gives us goosebumps because without living through it, we can't really understand it. Now, Alison, tell us about your work and and your family too. Um, well, you know, I think that my path to rare disease began in my childhood, and I didn't even realize um, that it that it was. My paternal grandmother had five children and lost three of them to infantile onset Tay-Sachs, and I'm actually a carrier. And I remember as a child, we would take the bus into the city, and she would um, take us to the University of Pittsburgh, and we actually um, started doing carrier testing um, back in the day. And this was a long, long time ago, and then she would take us to lunch. And so I actually was a research subject um, when, I was a, when I was a kid, actually helping um, to do some testing development. And so ironically, my career path, once I was trained, um, I, led me to a company, um, Genzyme, and uh, worked for um, them for almost 10 years working on enzyme replacement therapies for lysosomal storage disorders, of which Tay-Sachs is one. Um, so I'm actually doing it from the other side now. So, um, but I think I speak um, for people from rare disease companies um, around the world is that because we work um, with such uh, rare conditions that have such a profound impact um, on lives and are typically don't have a treatment, the, um, we all in our own way tend to be very patient focused and um, rely very heavily on patients and their families you know, to teach us about the disease. So drug development really involves a partnership in rare disease between companies and patients and their family. And Shirley, turning to you finally, tell us about your path into Alain and also your situation personally. Actually, my, my, I can relate to Alison and to Crystal quite well because the first symptoms of my disease also appeared very discreetly when I was a student in Switzerland studying special education. And I was known as the terror of the ski slopes because I always fell down and I was very clumsy, but I'd never really thought about it at that time. And my first job actually was in early intervention and I was helping families mm -hmm supporting them and coaching them, families who had children, 
with development delays with specific diseases. And actually at that time, that was in the 80s, I encountered my the first children living with a rare disease. And to tell you the truth, in the 80s, there was very little known. And when I had my programs, I had more mainstream programs uh, for Down syndrome, for example, for children with an autistic spectrum. But for children with rare diseases, there were hardly any programs. And then 10 years later, when my symptoms started to amplify, then like Alison said, I was on the other side of the mirror. I was the person who had to receive help. And um, it was a difficult period at that time, but now I'm a, I'm a happy mother of two boys. Unfortunately, I passed uh, one of these faulty genes also to one of my sons. And sometimes we talk to each other and I ask him, are you angry with me that I passed this on to you? And then he says, well, no, mom, you have so many good qualities that it doesn't matter if I have just one little minor one that affects more the motor and the fine motor skills. So for the rest, we're both doing perfectly. Yes, we're, we're happy in our lives. Meanwhile, but it's a certain way to go there. Well, there's so much to talk about within all of your stories. And thank you so much for openly and honestly sharing those with our listeners. Crystal, turning to you, mentioned it briefly. What is the definition of rare disease? Because I know there's a little uh, dispute here. The definition is not quite global. So, so firstly, let's Let's think about what is a rare disease. Yes, absolutely. So, so the definition of a rare disease uh, all around the world is less than 50,000 patients worldwide, except for in the United States. Then the definition is less than 200,000 um, patients worldwide. So there's a little bit of a challenge um, in, in uh, comparing the two. But in aggregate, um, it is 300 million families worldwide are living with um, a patient, a, either a child or an adult um, with a rare disease. And, you know, there's varying different um, symptoms and um, abilities within that patient community. Uh, half the community is children. And a third of those children will not see their fifth birthday. So you, what you have is this, this really concentrated um, very medicalized life experience um, for both the rare children um, and the rare families. And uh, I know in uh, Luxembourg in particular, Shirley and I were talking about, you know, there's some, some nuances there. So I want to bring those forward. But, um, but really, that is, that is our community. Yes, if I can, sorry, if I can add to that. Yeah, we were talking about that and definitions are different from one continent to another. So Crystal, let's blame the Atlantic Ocean for that. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, here the definition is we, call, we classify a disease as rare when it affects less than one in 2,000 persons. And as you said, um, otherwise we share, share the same statistics. Uh, most of these diseases are serious, chronic and progressive. And um, up to 70% of these diseases appear already in child age. And that's what I want to kind of zone into now, because, again, you're really telling us, Crystal, and in all of your experiences, we're dealing with families who give birth unknowingly often to a child that they have to raise who will die before them so often in such a very high percentage. And I, whilst Alison's work and the wonderful work of the pharma companies 
moves on a pace and we have now a fantastic global conversation about this you have really honed in on your own personal experience of how it affects families so tell us then how it came to be that you set up angel aid and what it is that you do and why you focus on caring for the caregivers yes absolutely so so angel aid was founded 20 years ago um, we've been witnessing this uh, rare disease community uh, identify as a community. It used to be that every disease set, you know, every set of parents in a specific um, disease community would focus on themselves. But what's happened over the last 10, I'd say 10, 15 years, is this, the community is identified as a community. We're stronger together. And the, the um, experience of the caregivers, of the mothers, primarily, who are the primary caregivers 82% of the time, their experience at home um, is pretty similar to uh, the experience of another rare mother in another disease set. So we decided, let's focus less on the specific diseases and more on what this is like for the mother to be at home, for the parent to be at home. You know, we have all uh, had this collective trauma of a pandemic experience, right? And that sensitized us to really what it's like for rare families every day. Um, the isolation, um, the homeschooling, the being at home, the dealing with symptom management. This is, you know, almost like skilled nursing at home that you didn't anticipate. And then the emotional um, burden of understanding that there is no cure for any rare disease. And so you're, you're in this, it's not a, a, a PTSD, post-traumatic stress experience. It's a chronic traumatic stress experience, right? You wake up every day, you go to bed every day, worried and fighting for the life of your child. So Angel Aid exists to find relief, to bring relief to those mothers. And what we know is that by bringing these mothers together, uh, just the simple act of con connection is the act of compassion that in in seeing witnessing in each other their own journeys they find relief um, in sharing stories um, with each other they they know they're not crazy right that they can get through this experience and then we provide inspiration and practices for meditation that would help uh, help the mother with just a daily dose of um, of relief through self-care so those are our those are our primary services everything from crisis support through wellness support on a global basis thank you thank you very much crystal moving to you Allison sort of the other side of the spectrum the pharma side um, firstly, how does pharma think about rare disease? We've had the, the kind of the global classifications and how they think about it. And as, as Shirley and Crystal have said, it, we're talking about small pockets of people globally, but they all add together to make this enormous community. So, so give us the pharma side. So I, I think, you know, to expand on what Crystal was saying about, you know, the feeling of isolation within the rare disease, um, you, I think that what we try to do at Ultragenics is, you know, bring the patients and their families into the drug development 
process. Um, so rather than having them be, you know, originally perceived as kind of being at the mercy of the company that's trying to develop a rare disease, um, we have an awareness that we need to understand these diseases. There isn't enough about them in the literature. There aren't enough physicians that, that really know and understand these diseases. The people that know the most about them are the patients and their families. And so in order for us to try to bring treatments um, to market and make them available to those patients, you know, for who may be benefited by them, we actually need the patients and their families to provide us with the information um, that will help us design the right trial um, and, and make the proper argument about the clinical meaningfulness of a treatment um, should it prove to be efficacious in the clinic and then you know do the work that we would need to do in order to ensure patient access so that patients who may benefit from these disease from these treatments actually have access to um, the treatments. And so it really is a need to have patients and their families as partners. Um, in that process. And so I think over time, there's been recognition among all of the key stakeholders with, within the drug development process um, that patients are, are essential to the process um, and that we can't get a drug to market that has a clinically meaningful impact on patients and their families without that knowledge. So it's not just participation in the trials. It starts way before that in terms of teaching us about their disease, teaching, about, teaching us about their journey to diagnosis, teaching us about what aspects of the disease are most burdensome to their lives and, and which they would most like relief from. And so ultimately, you know, what you end up with is drugs that are very expensive. Um, and, and, you know, healthcare gets, gets rationed. So what we need to do is make sure that we understand how this drug will change the way a, a patient feels and functions um, and how a, it will change the way a family functions. Um, and so that used to be part of, there used to be, a, you know, a separation between companies and, and patients. Um, and now there's more of a partnership. And I think that that will allow companies to bring drugs to market faster um, with, you know, less uh, resources and, and less obstacles in the way. Um, as we all you know, acknowledge the patient and the family and their role in the process. So, you know, I think the, the industry perspective um, has changed. And I think that Ultragenics has always been um, very patient focused. And you see a lot of companies, rare disease companies, um, having a true focus um, on patients as partners. It's wonderful to hear about that patient focus in medicine as it grows, because, of course, the way medicine will probably change in the future is going to become, hopefully, much more personalized for all sorts of reasons that we won't go into here right now. But just thinking about that patient focus and thinking about the nature of rare diseases when it comes to clinical trials, how do you find the necessary pool of patients to talk to within one disease? 
Well, a lot of times I think, you know, one of the things that's happening in, in rare disease, um, well, in disease as in general, is, you know, the increase in technology that's able to bring patients from around the world um, together to to share their stories. And so, you know, we actually, through patient associations, have the ability to reach out um, and patients have the ability to reach out to us. And so we can share information globally now. Um, and so we do a number of things within industry. We do um, advisory boards um, and we coordinate those through patient associations. We talk to the patients and their families and learn about their diseases and regulatory agencies do that as well. Um, they are bringing patients together um, to learn about the disease and that helps them greatly in advising companies about um, the drug development process. So the FDA, for example, is does patient-focused drug development sessions with patients and their families. They do listening sessions, um, and this is is so important. Um, but there's, you know, with the increase in technology, there's a sharing of information um, and a bringing together. Um, of patient communities. And it also lets the industry know where the patients are. Um, and we also learn about differences in mutations and how those affect patients worldwide. Um, you know, it's often you'll find that in certain countries, patients experience the disease differently. Um, and we factor that into to the design of our, of our clinical research. Which is fascinating to have that world perspective because, of course, people live in different climates. They live in all sorts of different ways. So it's only inevitable that there will be geographical shifts, as we've all learned about this year, if we didn't already know about it, the mutations of various viruses and, and, and the such like. Now, Shirley, just turning to you, tell us a little bit about Alain. Why Alain? What does Alain stand for even? Well, I, I, I want to compliment you saying it in French, Alain. Uh, <laughs> here we're the English-speaking community. We can go for Alan, like Alan Parsons Project. It's no problem. Uh, Alan, yes, Alan is an abbreviation for a very long uh, term in French. I don't want to repeat it here. It's a tongue twister. So in 2014, we just um, call it now Alan Rare Diseases Luxembourg, Maladie Rare Luxembourg. And it was founded a little bit earlier than Crystal's Angel Aid. It was founded in 1998. So now we're a bit older than 20 years. It's a nonprofit organization, mainly providing support and information to patients, but also their caregivers. The, the main vision for Alan is, despite the fact that the vast majority of uh, rare diseases cannot be treated nor cured, not at this moment, we try to focus on improving the quality of life of persons living with a rare disease, you know, to give them the chance to develop, to reach their full potential. And it might sound very simple, but just actually just to have a happy and fulfilled life, despite maybe the gloomy perspectives. That's the vision. And talking about the missions, we have quite a lot. I'll just pick out three. One of our main missions, what we're known for here in Luxembourg, is our counseling team made up by social workers and psychologists that have been specialized in rare diseases. So they help and support and inform uh, caregivers and um, rare disease patients. What is 
just as important, and that's why I'm so happy that Crystal is really into it, is the recreational and well-being activities. They are just as important because a specialist can give you information and, and aid and support, but people affected by rare disease, when they get together, they can exchange. They can exchange best practices. They notice they're not alone. They're not the only person on the world living with a rare disease. That's very, very important. Um, due to Corona, unfortunately, this year, we couldn't do our swimming activities. We couldn't get back on the horses, well, the ponies. <laughs> uh, but we could uh, continue with our relaxation and meditation classes that took online and that actually amplified because we had such a huge demand for, for these classes. And uh, third point, third mission is awareness raising. That's why we three are together today. I'm so glad to be part of this dynamic committee and uh, patient advocacy, where we're still working hard on it. We want to develop it a bit more. Thank you, Shirley, for all of those very salient points. And actually listening to all of you, what I pick up is the importance of making this community so that people don't feel isolated, they don't feel alone. And the other thing that I've heard from all of you is the quality of life for the whole unit, the whole family unit, because this is such a burden not just on the person with the rare disease, but on a member of the family, if they're a carrier or on the whole family as a group, whether they have the rare disease or not. It, it's a group unit that has to not fight. That's not the correct word. Carry it together. And even from you, Alison, I'm hearing from the pharma point of view, when you're thinking about the pharma aspect of this, you're not thinking about necessarily a cure. You're talking to the patients and you're thinking about what aspects of your life do you want to have improved whilst you're alive? How can we improve that quality of life? So it's a it's a, a, a much more nuanced question, actually, from a farmer point of view. It's not ultimately the cure or how do we fix this or stop this forever. It's about the people living with it and how do we improve their current existence? So, so from all of you in different perspectives, we've heard that. But just again to you, Shirley, in Luxembourg, Tell us a little bit about the, the community. I think there's about 30,000 people in Luxembourg with a rare disease and you've got all of these activities going on. And, and as uh, Crystal has also mentioned, and because of COVID, we've now become much more global. So have you been able to interact with communities more globally as well? Yes, we are uh, working continuously with Eurodis. That's the umbrella organization for rare diseases in Europe. Uh, we also are in contact with UPAT, with uh, EPF, the European Patients Forum. And uh, we connect uh, also a lot with AFM Teleton. You also know Teleton in, in the States because actually Teleton comes from you. And then it came over to France and to Switzerland and to Italy and to Luxembourg. So we, we really have valued partners there. And then on a national level, since Luxembourg is very small, we are very lucky that the, we can collaborate quite easily with the policymakers here and also with the members of parliament and that we have short distances in that way. That's, we are very lucky and fortunate for that. Yeah, that's absolutely. 
through of Luxembourg. And, and that's why I'm so happy to, to have you, Shirley, as an advocate uh, sitting here in Luxembourg, but for, for Europe, actually, because, of course, rare disease has no boundaries geographically, <laughs> um, and Crystal and Alison as well. I think we've hit on most of the points. And I know, Shirley, you have to race off and be important for the rare disease community. My two Californian friends here will probably have to go and have a, another coffee to wake up from this awful hour of the morning for you over there. But just to summarize, please let me turn to you, Crystal. Tell us a little bit about over the more recent years when you've expanded Angel Aid Cares to really focus in on the help for families. What have you got out of it? I know you're working also with your mother who has uh, had to suffer the loss of three of her children. So tell us just a little bit about your professional and personal experience. Yes. Um, well, I think what has has struck us, uh, both my mother and I, as we are carriers, um, and my daughter, who is 14, Chloe, who's also a carrier, is that we really have a responsibility to this community that um, if if there's a gap in services, um, we want to we want to fill that. So everything that we're doing is um, mobile first. Um, in secure portals, it's designed um, to be experiences that will heal on a global basis, um, designed to be inclusive um, of all um, parties, designed to be multilingual. So we're just trying to tear down barriers to caregivers being able to connect and partnering with in-country organizations um, like Allen and partnering with industry and pharmaceuticals like Ultragenics is how we will achieve our vision to uh, connect 3.5 million rare mothers by 2025. So um, part of that goal is awareness, is having conversations like these. I'm so grateful to all of the listeners um, for you know spending your time with us today and encourage you to reach out to Alan, reach out to to angelaidcares.org, reach out to Ultragenics um, if you are in, uh, in that specific disease set that they support. Uh, we are here to support you as the rare community and um, really as, as humanity, right? Uh, and I know that we've actually had a retreat which incorporated rare mothers from Europe recently. We did, Germany, the Netherlands, um, the UK, uh, as well as Australia, Canada, and the United States. So women from around the world coming together um, several times a week and, um, and finding relief and solace in each other. That's really what um, we're about. And Alison, you've so eloquently spoken about your work as well. How has it made you feel given what you've also experienced in your family, do you kind of go to work every day thinking, I am doing my best to make a difference? I think that, you know, for me personally, absolutely. It's a legacy, right? Um, and, you know, I think it it is um, an honor, uh, you know, to my family um, to, ha- to continue the fight against uh, rare disease. But I think, you know, at Ultragenics, that's our culture. I think we, we come to work um, every day, uh, to fight, um, to be heroes for our patients. Um, and so I, and I, I think many rare disease companies have that same, um, philosophy, but I, I think that when you are working on treatments for people who don't have an approved product 
to help them and they were have always been given a diagnosis and then that's it right you, you know if you're lucky enough with rare disease to get a diagnosis typically what follows is and there's nothing right except for palliative care we're just going to help you manage the symptoms and so for me um my job is all about hope right i want to be able to empower um, the healthcare community to say we figured out what this is and right here's something that we can do and obviously um you know there are so few treatments available for rare diseases and we're we're certainly finding more rare diseases every day um but being able to change that paradigm where you're giving a patient or a family bad news right here's what this is and this is what the prognosis is or here's what the what this disease is and there is no approved treatment um, the goal is to change uh, that experience for, for patients and families one disease at a time. It's really interesting to hear you talk about that. And even at a very simplistic level, just the language around it, because there will be so many stages for a family to hear, to accept that news. In fact, I'm quite sure for many people, it will take many years to accept what has been told to them, or even, as you also said, to find out what is the issue, because they may not know, and it may not even appear for a number of years, as you said also, Shirley. So, um, Shirley, turning to you last of all, before you zoom off, (laughs) any any final words, any final words for those families that you inspire and lead here ultimately as president of Alain? Yes. Um, Well, First of all, uh, for our listeners, I would be really happy if they could remember one sentence that it is not rare to have a rare disease and that we are many, (laughs) that we are strong and that we're proud for all what we have done and for all what we have achieved. Nobody should feel bad about having a rare disease. And uh, where I'm currently working on is to um, amplify patient empowerment but it's not like oh, giving power to the patients. It's not about that. It's, it's, it's capacity building, giving the opportunity for patients who want to uh, learn more about rare diseases. It's about pet patient education. When patients have more information, they might be able to get engaged in certain uh, domains. It can be in the social domain, in the research domain, in awareness raising. And I'm very optimistic when I see in Luxembourg, but also worldwide, I find uh, there are many young and yes, long, less young people who are getting engaged. And that is very uh, important to show that we're there. And um, we are role models for the generations afterwards. And I would like to thank everybody who has uh, broken down these barriers uh, these last years. And I'm looking forward to the future. Mm. And on behalf of Luxembourg, I think we need to say thank you to you, Shirley, because you have really shone a light, literally, (laughs) on rare disease in Luxembourg, notably this year. And I'm quite sure all of the community here and beyond the community and all of the families of the community here are so very grateful to you. And I know, Crystal, we're hoping that your company can help give more support globally across the world in all sorts of different languages. And 
Alison, we look to you for the cures. So, <laughs> so what a team we have here, a female team also, I might add, uh, <laughs> of fantastic women who are just shining a light and, and lending their voice and their, their professionalism and expertise. Thank you all so much for your time, your passion, your dedication. And I truly wish you all uh, continued success as you go on to fight for cures for rare disease and to give the best life possible to those carrying it and to their families and caregivers. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you.